the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Maybe we pray at a meal or, or maybe we pray at bedtime, but we don't pray without ceasing. And then we wonder why we have all these consequences in our life. We wonder why things don't work out. Oh, to be people of prayer. Oh, that we understand that prayer is the Word of God. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. The businessman had a very important appointment, so he needed to catch the 805, the train in the morning, to make it to work on time. He had an important job to do. So he got up and he got dressed and he had his breakfast, but when he stepped out the back door to go to the train, he didn't realize his little son had already awakened that morning and was already playing in the mud. So he had an obstacle to overcome. And and some of you walked in today and you've got an obstacle to overcome. There's something going on in your life that may be in the way of the big work that God has prepared for you. Well, he went to step over his son who was playing in the mud and then it happened. He slipped and he fell in the mud. And then this businessman who needed to catch the 805, who was on the way to work, who had a big job to do, he had a decision to make. Was he going to wallow in the mud? Was he going to stay dirty and muddy? Or was he going to brush it off and get on the 805 and go to work and do that big job? Some of you have come in and you've got a big job to do for you. We've been talking about how God is not through with you. He's not finished. He wants to use you, yes, for your good, but most importantly, for his glory. But you've fallen and you've gotten a little dirty. You're muddy. You're not following God like you once followed God. And you've got a decision to make. Are you going to stay in the mud? Are you going to get up? Are you going to catch the train that's waiting on you so that you can be about our Father's business? We've been talking about comeback stories. I love a good comeback story, and the Bible's full of them. That's so encouraging. I want to remind you, there's only one hero in the Scriptures. God is the hero But he uses his creation, individuals like us, to show us that even when we mess up, he can pick us up. And so we looked at the life of David, and we saw that you can come back even from acts of disobedience. We looked at the life of Elijah, and we saw that you can come back even from seasons of discouragement and depression. Last week, we looked at James and John, two of the closest of the disciples, and we saw that you can come back from even dumb decisions. Anybody made any dumb decisions this week? I'm so thankful that our God is a God of comeback. Today we look at Peter, and I have to tell you, this may be my favorite comeback story. Because the story of Peter just lets us know that even when we deny him, 
even when we fall down, even when we've blown it in the presence of Jesus, he wants to restore us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to be reconciled with us. He wants to work a comeback story in our life. Say this, church. Say, I'm ready for a comeback. I love a good comeback story. We're going to hear all about Peter, but let me first introduce you to him. John introduces us in chapter 1 and verse 40. He says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ, and then he brought him to Jesus. Now, that's not the focal point today, but I want you to understand something. When you truly encounter Jesus, you're drawn to bring others to him. So who are you bringing to Jesus? Who's your one? If you're gathered with me here in this room, you've got one of these little cards that was on your seat. Would you take it into your hand right now? This is not your gift. This card was not intended to you. It's like the gospel. This card came to you while it was on the way to somebody else. We want you to take this card and pass it on to somebody else and invite them to be a part of what we're going to experience in this room next weekend, our Easter weekend services. So I want you to think about that one, that person who needs that relationship with Christ, that person that you need to bring to God, that person that you can reach out to. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, somebody in your little corner of the world. And then do your part. Help bring them to Jesus. So Jesus looked at him and he said this, You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. At this moment, Peter's brought into the inner circle. And Jesus did have an inner circle, a little clique. His closest friends, Pete, James, and John. I can't imagine what the other disciples thought about them. He's always hanging out with Pete, James, and John. That's all I ever hear. Pete, James, and John. Yeah, Jesus had close friends, and so should we. But after this moment, as Pete, James, John, and the other disciples begin to follow Jesus, all kind of amazing things begin to happen. Things like this. Remember when Peter was fishing, and he saw Jesus walking toward him, and Jesus said, come to me. And Peter's like, no, I can't. You're out in the water. How are you walking on the water, Jesus? Jesus says, come to me, and Peter looks at Jesus and he begins to walk on the water. It's amazing. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus like some of you have. And he begins to sink like some of you are. It's Peter who will gather with Jesus and the other disciples there in that amazing place that you can visit today called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus will ask the disciples, who is everybody saying that I am? I mean, we're making a little stir out there. People are talking. Who do, they, who do they say I am? And then he said, who do you say I am? And Peter would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you got it. And so no longer are you going to be known by this name, Simon. Let's just always call you Peter, the rock. And then he says, hey, Peter, you're going to be used in an instrumental way. And the church is going to be built. And, and you're going to be a part of that process. And, and it's awesome. It's Peter who's gathering there again with the clique. And, and they get to go with Jesus in that moment where Moses and Elijah meet with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, you talk about God moments. You talk about those moments where, where you see God at work in your life. Peter had experienced all those firsthand. But then he blew it in one of the most important weeks in history. And I'm going to show you why that's encouraging to us. In John chapter 12, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. 
You might remember what happens. People begin to lay down their palm leaves and, and they worship Jesus as he rides through town on the colt. And they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's why when we worship, we don't gather as the frozen chosen. I'm not sure what your kind of background is and how you like to express your worship, but we believe it's okay to be expressive in worship, and we encourage you to voice some praise to the Lord. So just in case you haven't done enough of that today, how about do that right now? Would you just praise the Lord? Maybe you would shout Hosanna. Maybe you would say hallelujah. Maybe you would just say, I love you, Jesus. We come in the name of the Lord. We worship you today. Then in John 13, Jesus is going to gather with his disciples, and they have bread, and, and they have wine, and they're celebrating a meal. And, and Jesus is going to turn things and say, now, from now on, when you sit at a table like this, you're going to think differently. Because when you take of the bread and you take of the cup, you're going to remember what I've done. They didn't get it because they didn't understand what he was talking about, what he was about to do, even though he had predicted it and talked about it time and time again. And, and then we have another Peter moment because Jesus says, hey, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter stands up and says, oh, no, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus kind of stands him down and says, all right, you don't want anything to do with me and puts Peter in his place. And then Peter changes his story. He says, oh, no, don't wash my feet. Wash all of me. I want everything, Jesus. And, and some of you have had a moment like that, a time in your life where you just laid it all down and said, Jesus, just give me everything. I want everything you got. All of me is there for just more of you, Jesus. That's what Peter did in that moment. And then Jesus tells him, and the other disciples, that one of you are going to betray me. And they're like, no, is it me? And I always like that part of the story because some of us, when we come to worship, that's really what we're thinking. Am I going to be the one to stand with God or am I going to be the one who betrays him? And so he kind of alludes that this is going to be Judas. And, and then we have this other interaction. I want you to see this. John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus had just said, I'm going to a place, but y'all can't follow me. So he answered and said, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And then Peter, Peter who apparently wore peppermint-flavored socks because he was always inserting his feet in his mouth. Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered and says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow Till you've denied me three times. So you've got this story of Peter's passion and then Jesus' prediction. And we're reminded that God knows all. He knows the bad about us and he knows the best about us. And so some of you have had those moments of passion where you've laid it on the line and you said, yes, God, I'll do everything. But you're living out what Jesus predicted. You're living out that season of disobedience and denial. It's called, if you think about the a theological term for this, it's called apostasy, a public denial of who God is. And we see a lot of that in our faith circles today. Preachers, Christian musicians, they call it deconstructing the faith. They no longer follow Christ. They're rejecting him now. Could you possibly come back from that? It's got to be the worst sin you could commit Dr. Luke gives us a little more detail of this. Look at Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, same scene, just different gospel writer. Jesus calls his name twice. 
If Jesus has to call your name twice to get your attention, you're in trouble. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you. What? Jesus prayed for Simon? Jesus prayed for Peter? I thought we prayed to Jesus. Jesus prays for us. Hey, guess what? That hasn't changed. Did you know that Jesus is still your intercessor? Did you know that the Bible says that he goes to the Father on your behalf? Did you know that if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit of God, that third person of the Trinity indwells you, and that means that even when you don't know the words to say, he's crying out to God. He's saying, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, wait a second. (laughs) Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. But then he's telling him, but guess what? (laughs) It's going to fail. We know that because he says that when you've turned again. In other words, you're going to turn away from me. But then you're going to have a comeback. Say this. Say, I'm ready for a comeback. He said, you're going to turn back to me. So when you've turned back, Peter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go to both prison and death. Jesus predicts his defeat. But then Jesus also predicts his victory. Jesus knows that about you and me as well. He knows those moments will fall short. He knows when we'll fail him. He knows when we will blow it. But he knows the job he's got for us to do. And he wants to pick us up out of the mud. He wants to dust us off. And he wants us to get about the business that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak. Continuing to give us what we do not have. Continuing to teach us what we do not know. Continuing to make us what we've not become. And Lord, in the remaining moments, may the words I say and these thoughts continue to please you for your glory. And today, Lord, would you pick somebody up out of the mud? And today, Jesus, would you draw somebody to you for salvation? We're gathered in your name. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now... We continue with our message. So what happens next? That's the setup. Now we've got to see the setback. Peter's going to fall. He's going to blow it just like Jesus said he would. So Jesus is going to go to the garden and pray. What does Peter do while Jesus is praying? He sleeps. If you didn't know that. You've fallen asleep in church? Guess what? Peter fell asleep with Jesus. 
Then Judas comes to the garden to betray Jesus. What does Peter do? He draws his sword and he cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus has to perform miraculous surgery right there on the spot. And Peter, man, he's got some stuff going on. But then they take Jesus to a man named Caiaphas' house. Caiaphas was the high priest, the high Jewish priest. And so before Jesus was handed over to the Romans, the Jews condemned him, right? And so Peter follows him. Matter of fact, that's what Scripture says in verse 15 of chapter 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about his fall, but a lot of people focus on how Peter denied Jesus, and they miss out on the truth here. Best we can tell, 10 of the disciples are not there. Peter and one other disciple is there. He was still following Jesus. Now, he's like some of us. He's following him at a distance. And so some of you have come, and man, it's even a little uncomfortable when you gather in worship. You like a bigger crowd because you feel like maybe you can get lost, and, and you think, oh, I don't know if I can come into the presence of Jesus. You're following him at a distance, maybe a guilty distance. You know what you've done. You know what you're capable of. Another disciple was there too, and since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered into Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Now, I've been to the place where archaeologists really believe you can walk in the courtyard of the house of Caiaphas. I visited there twice, and it's one of the most emotional experiences I've had because you can actually stand kind of back in the shadows and look into the courtyard, as I think Peter did. Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Now, what did she assume? The negative. You're not one of his And boy, that's a reminder to us. We may think we're walking with Jesus. We may think everybody knows we're a Christ follower. But the truth is, if we're not, that's what they know. (laughs) You're not one of those Christians, are you? I mean, you tell them you're going to church, and they're like, what? You go to church? Because they see what you don't think they see. We think we're fooling everybody else, but we're not. You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he says, I am not, number one. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. I want you to think about something. He was warming himself when he should have been warning himself. He had already denied Jesus, but he was focusing on his comfort when he should have been experiencing conviction. So Simon was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And then one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Now this person knows because Peter had cut off the ear. I mean, this would have been the person had Jesus not been there to go to the ER with this man. Jesus healed him, so he didn't need to go to the emergency room. He says, Hey, uh... Didn't I see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Now, in Dr. Luke's gospel, we've got a little more commentary, and I think it's helpful. So look at this in Luke 22 and verse 61. It says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that look? Now, remember, Jesus is inside the room. He's being beaten already. 
He's being ridiculed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, by the high priest. And Peter's standing way back here, kind of peering in at a guilty distance. And in the midst of this, at the sound of the rooster, Jesus looks at Peter. Just as Jesus is looking at you. He knows your name. He knows your sin. He knows the worst. And yet he knows the best. So it's a look of love. It's not a daddy look. Sometimes my kids say, oh no, that was the dad look. No, this is a look of love. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And that just tells us, man, when we are convicted of our sin, it should always grieve us. Because sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin always keeps you longer than you want to stay. Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. He was grieved and he wept. When's the last time you've wept over your sinfulness? If you're not feeling a conviction that moves your emotions when you sin against God, then only one of two things can be possible. One, either you're not saved. You don't have a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit of God is not living in you because the Holy Spirit of God and sin are are not on the same page. So you're going to feel something. Or you've sinned so much. You've gone so far down the slope that you've gotten cold and and you've gotten hard and, and you just don't care. What caused Peter's fall? We want to focus on his comeback, but what what caused his fall? I think you can learn something here. Number one, pride always comes before the fall. That's why scripture says, you who think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Remember Peter? Bless God, Jesus, there's no way I'm going to deny you. I'm going to be with you till the death be bowed up. I mean, he was ready in the garden. He thought, this is the moment. He pulled out a sword. That wasn't the moment. He was full of himself. When you're full of yourself, you leave no room for God. And he's not working in you. Some of us have said things like, I could never do that. I could never commit adultery. I I, I could never cheat at work. I I could never stop going to church. And, And yet when we say things like that, we're demonstrating a pride that is not of God. Remember, the best of men are men at best. Number two. Prayerlessness always has consequences. See, I I think Jesus had given Peter a way out. I really do. I think the garden was his path to peace. But he didn't take advantage of it. He slept when he should have been praying. Now, some of us have heard scripture where it teaches that some things come only through prayer. And so we would amen a statement like that. And we would say, yes, prayer is important, but it's not a part of our life. And maybe we pray at a meal or, or maybe we pray at bedtime, but we don't pray without ceasing. And then we wonder why we have all these consequences in our life. We wonder why things don't work out. Oh, to be people of prayer. Oh, that we understand that prayer is the work of God. Thirdly, I think we can learn that presumptuous, presumption always gets us into trouble. Are you ever presumptuous? You, you think you know what God wants you to do, but you've not consulted him? That's what happened in the garden. Peter pulled out the wrong sword. When Jesus faced the devil himself, he didn't pull out a sword. He didn't zap him. 
what did Peter do? I mean, what did Jesus do? Jesus used the sword of the Spirit. He brought out the Scriptures. He quoted the Bible to him. See, Peter used the wrong sword. He presumed upon God. That's why it's important, by the way, that we memorize Scripture, that we learn the Scriptures. I'm so thankful my mom, who's here in the service today, that as a small child, she taught me the Scriptures. She taught me the Bible. And even today, in moments of difficulty, I can call on those verses. So what happens next? Well, you know the story. They put Jesus to death. He dies on a cross. Buried in a borrowed tomb. He's raised from the dead. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.